This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining us on another edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. More than ever, sales reps rely on data analytics and technology to know how to win deals, rather than just on intuition and experience alone. This means that the way sellers learn about their prospects is also changing, and the way sellers interact with their buyers is changing. We've talked about it on previous episodes, but the buyer's journey is shifting to a digital experience with about 80% of the buyer's journey happening through digital channels now. Your sales reps only have a small percentage of time available with your buyer to seal the deal. This means that your sellers must have the resources and information they need to create a buyer-centric sales experience. Sales enablement is key to helping your sellers win more deals. And here to talk about best practices for sales enablement is Mark Casaglo, VP of Sales and Ad Outreach. Mark, welcome to the show. What's up? All right, my friend. Thank you for being here. Um, now, uh, outreach is an incredible resource, right? An incredible resource for sales teams. And we're excited for you to share your expertise with us. But before, before we dive into your world of expertise, let's first explore a world that you admitted you are not an expert in, but jumped headlong into anyway. Of course, I'm speaking about Mario Party and Mario Kart. <laughs> As I understand it, about a week ago, your family embarked on a Mario Party slash Mario kart rama I believe is how it was, <laughs> trash-talking extravaganza. Now, one you took very seriously, you know, and ultimately practiced for, and ultimately pointed the bat at non-embarrassment. You said, I will not be embarrassed again by my 12-year-old. Inquisitive minds want to know what happened. How did it end up? Well, um, listen, I was never the video game player growing up. I watched my brother, who was really good at it. And then I've continued to watch my kids. I'm the watcher. So uh, my oldest son, who's 17 now, when he was nine or 10 years old, he would set the world record on Mario Kart for certain tracks. He was in like the top one or 2% of all Mario Kart racers. But there's always one track that I could beat him on every single time to maintain some dad bragging rights, right? And so uh, my, my younger son is also really good at video games. So um, I, I'm happy to report I didn't completely embarrass myself. I made sure my wife finished last in everything that we did so that dad didn't. And she took the brunt of the trash talking. Is that good? Is that good? <laughs> That's to- totally fair and excellent, right? So I, I get I get pwned every time I, I, I am also not a gamer. And every time we play a game with, with my kids, it's just, it's an embarrassment and the trash talking just is incessant. So I totally feel you, man. I will say this, Ryan, they just released a brand new Mario party game. It's my favorite one of all time. I won the first two times I've played and I'm George Costanza-ing and I'm leaving on top. I will never play the game again. George out. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Mark, this is going to be a fun conversation. All right. Before, before we hop into the conversation, I I want to hear more about you. Tell us about you. Give us your background and spill the beans on outreach. You know, what's outreach all about? Yeah. Uh, Outreach is an engagement and intelligence platform. You can think of it like this is every sales team performs where they perform. That's their actual current performance but there's a place where they need to be. 
That's their potential. That's where they could be if things were going right. And predictability, efficiency, and growth, those are the barriers that are standing in the way of reaching your potential. And so what outreach does is we've combined several things into a singular platform to help you overcome what we've deemed the sales execution gap. And you can do that with automation, top of the funnel to build more pipeline. You can use that to help collaborate with people in deals and make sure that the calls that you're uh, and the meetings that your reps are on are performing the way that they should, all the way to forecasting the deals at the end to understand like, what is the health of a deal and is it forecastable or do I need to replace it with another deal in the pipeline that's trending better? And so you put all that together and you get the first engagement and intelligent platform that helps sellers and sales leaders overcome the sales execution gap. Okay. So that's, that's helpful to, to understand about outreach. And we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff uh, moving forward, specifically couched around sales enablement, right? So let, let's, let's hop into this. Um, let's get some context first, right? Foundational context around sales enablement. Why is sales enablement so important as we shift to this digital buying experience that I talked about in the, in the intro, you know, why is it so important? Why is practice important for somebody in a high school play? Why is homework important for a student? Why is playing with shapes important for an infant? Is uh, enablement is the process of learning. And so if you don't learn, then you're not gonna change. You're not gonna do better. You're not gonna do anything new. And, and sales requires constant change to be good. It requires change over time. It requires change in the moment. It requires the need to see when change is needed. And so, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, a basic question, like why do we send kids to school so that they can learn to read, write, and uh, you know, do math? And in the same way, why do we send a rep to enablement is so that they can figure out how to sell, how to position their value, how to find the needs that their customers have, and how to make sure the customers understand the value that, that uh, overcoming those challenges and, and meeting those needs creates. Yeah. So, so love that, right? So you've, you've couched this in terms of this foundational practice, practice makes perfect or perfect practice makes perfect, whatever you want to call it. By the way, I read another article that you, that you wrote or another blurb that you posted about luck and totally dug it. And I read all the, the comments as well. And I love that you stuck to your, your guns about luck is there are some things that we cannot control, but the things that we can control, we should do everything we can to control it. And that's what you're talking about. If I'm, if I'm hearing you right. You did hear me right. Uh, I think people want to make luck something that you can control. Well, if I work hard enough, I'll be luckier. And luck is where hard work meets opportunity. And if as long as my, I'm prepared, when the timing comes around, I get lucky. That's BS. Luck is the fact, by definition, is something you cannot control. You can't be ready for it. You can't pounce on it. You can't manipulate it. It just happens. And, you know, Ryan, like the fact that, you know, my internet is working right now is lucky for you. There's no amount of preparedness that you can do to compensate for the fact that my internet doesn't work when we're going to record a podcast. Either works or it doesn't. You got lucky this time. And I think that you, as a seller, you got to have a great relationship with luck. You can't trust it too much. You can't discount it too much. And I think that what you need to do is you need to define what areas are luck and what areas are in my control, as you said, 
and just go after really hardcore the things that are under your control versus stressing about the things that you have no control over. Yeah. So it's been interesting over the over the years to watch sales enablement become um, uh, focused, right? It's focusing in on the in the impact that it's having within sales organizations over the past, you know, five to ten years. It's been really coming into focus. Why do you think it's coming into focus now? What you know, what what's happening to drive the the focal point to sales enablement? I think that there's a few companies in the world right now that have set unrealistic growth expectations. Amazon, Apple, you know, Microsoft. They've grown at such a pace. They've done such amazing things that they put undue pressure on regular companies that maybe don't have like a product that is a complete game changer like Excel, you know, who doesn't know what Excel is, right? And so, you know, I think that those are the type of things that have put pressure on companies and boards and sales leaders to grow. And when you have that much pressure to grow, then you have to invest somehow. Like if all things stay the same, you don't just grow more. Something has to change for you to grow more. I think one of the things that you can control that you can change is the literacy, quote unquote, of your sales reps, the competence, how good of skills they have, how good they are at applying those skills. You can control those things. And that's what enablement is. That's why it's grown. It's because without enablement, there's no way to sustain some of the unrealistic growth rates that certain companies have set up that think that boards and investors think every uh, company should be able to attain. Yeah, I mean, we, we feel that in, in our own organization, every organization that exists feels that, that pain of pull towards growth uh, and that everybody wants to be the next unicorn, everybody wants to be the next X, but who are the organizations that are willing to do the, the difference? Um, to get you there. I love that. Okay. So what I want to know is how have you seen um, sales enablement really impact sales teams? And from your experience, so what are some of the results or the impact that sales, been, uh, sales enablement is actually having? Well, let me answer that a little bit differently than you might expect. I think sales enablement has zero impact on a sales org unless a sales team and a salesperson decide to own their own development. So Ryan, think back to high school. What's the name of your favorite teacher? The one you love the most. If he's listening to this, it's Mike Vanderdunk. Love this. All right. All right. So you know, Mike, like, and mine was Marilyn Nunley and I hate math and she was my math teacher. Right. And she was, and I'm sure Mike was a little bit entertaining, he was a awesome. little bit educational, a little bit inclusive, a little bit different, a little bit challenging. Right. But what you couldn't do is sit in Mike's class or Mrs. Nunley's class and just listen, sit there and do nothing else but listen and get an A. And salespeople think that if they just go to the enablement session and listen, and most of them don't even do a good job of that because they're on Slack or email or text or messing around with something else, they think they're going to get an A on their next sales call. And they don't because they don't do the homework. They don't do the study group. They don't do the in-class taking of notes. They don't review their notes. They don't create little you know, flashcards to learn the material. They just go to class. They think that because they're in class, they should get an A. And that's what I think I'm after, hoping to try to change for my sales team and people that I talk to about enablement is enablement is just kind of the potential to do well. All of the actualization of doing well is dependent on the rep. 
And I think that until reps decide they're going to own their own enablement, enablement will have zero impact on them. Love that. Okay. So you've talked about the individual rep, which I love. I mean, that's the heart of the matter. Let's back up a little bit. Let, let's, let's come up in the organ, the sales organization and go to sales leaders. You know, in your experience, where does the sales leader fall short when it comes to sales enablement? This is the easiest question there is. Okay. Softball. Let's go. They try to do too much. Mm. So let's say that you took calculus, physics, AP English, you're in honor band, you're on the football team, you had a 30 hour a job week, you also volunteered in your community, you went to church every Sunday. What, how many high school students could do that and still be successful? Few. If Few. Not if they were like actually participating and ingesting and trying to sort it all out, right? But what sales leaders do is they're like, well, listen, we're going to change our messaging. We're going to update pricing and packaging. We're also going to resegment. We have a new pitch deck. We have three new products. We also want to change up like this part of our sales call. Oh, yeah. How we do this in Salesforce is going to change. Like, listen, I dare a sales leader to try to do and remember all the stuff that they give their sales reps to do and remember. They won't be able to, yet they expect their sales reps to. Listen, I'm a little guilty of this myself. I'm not saying I'm immune to it because sure. sometimes the stuff that you have to push down through is a lot. But I think that that's where that partnership of, if I can get my reps to own their own development and really dig into what I'm giving them, but I can make sure that the stuff I'm giving them is the most important. It's not too much for the human brain to engage with to process and then to execute on, then that's, I think, where you get a fast moving org that makes really substantial differences in how reps operate and in the results. But without both sides of the coin, you, a rep can't either can't do it or won't do it because they're just overwhelmed and their brain becomes mush. Okay. So um, not only are you not, not immune to it, neither am I. I don't think anybody is, right? We're, we're all overachievers. Yeah. If you're in a leadership position, you're driven. You're trying to do more with less. I mean, that's just the realities of our situation. You talk about growth pressure, right? Um, so what I'm hearing you say is without both engaged in a way that's appropriate, there isn't going to be an effective type of change, uh, an effective type of ability or potential for growth. Did I hear that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So how does, this is the key. So how does um, the behavior of the sales leader need to change once the sales rep has started to engage, own their own education? How does that change the need for the behavior of the, of the sales leader? So I think that everything comes down to ingestion. And what I mean by that is You'll talk to a few reps and they'll all give you an idea of something needs to change. As a sales leader, you'll look across your org and think, I need to tweak or change this. You're going to get something from your board or your C-level that's going to say, hey, you should think about changing this. You're going to have something new that enters in the market that creates change, right? You need to be able to ingest that. I have great, unbelievable enablement partners in Whitney Sinek and her, the rest of her org that helps me ingest everything. And in, this is what's really key, Ryan, is if your brain doesn't trust that they're actually capturing it, processing it, do it for you, your brain won't let go of it. And you'll constantly be feel anxious and nervous that like things are getting dropped. But I know if I send Katie, who's my enablement partner on Whitney's team, 
here's the stuff I'm getting. And then every week we have a sync where we go over here, Mark, here's all the, you give me 17 things this week. You gave me 17 things last week. And we just released 17 things at, at the beginning of the quarter. You need to figure out how to sort this out and then I can deliver for you. So to me, it's the ingestion, it's the process thing. I think that that's just productivity in general. Like, you know, I read a book by David Allen called Getting Things Done early in my career that changed my life. And the whole premise of the book is capture, process, and execute. And I think that that's the, the capture thing is messed up for enablement. And I like have my own ideas. I don't really sync with anybody. I feel like we're forgetting them, leaving them out. I see the same stuff circling every six weeks that I should have dealt with, but I didn't. My enablement partner doesn't really know how to process it correctly because we don't meet enough because I don't think they're important enough to meet with. And then the next thing you know, like everybody's kind of doing stuff their own way. And like, I don't have the level of control. I need to run the org the way that needs to be run. So I, I would say like the, the big area where sales leaders need to change is how they ingest information and then process it with their enablement partner so that the sales team can then execute. Yeah. So one of the keywords that I picked up on there, and by the way, one that I hear in almost every single episode that we do for this podcast, for the show is the word trust. You just said the word trust and specifically in allowing salespeople to, or creating an environment uh, where salespeople can, their brains can trust, you know, X, Y, or Z. What do sales leaders need to do? What does sales enablement need to do? What does the organization need to do to create that environment where their brains, sales reps' brains can trust what's coming at them? Well, I think I think that that's like a fundamental human question, right? Like, what do you do to get your wife to trust you, your kids to trust you, your friends to trust you, your neighbors to trust you, uh, your husband to trust you, your partner to trust you? Like, uh, I think what you do is you show up authentically as yourself and so that people, what they see is what they get and there's no com conflict there. And as a leader, a lot of times we have conflict, like we show up differently than we act, like we show up on the team meeting way differently than we act one-on-one. -on -one. We show up at the holiday party way actively than we show up at the forecast call. We show up differently when we're at home with our kids than we do when we're, you know, in the office with our employees. And so I, I think that contradiction of how you show up can really engender distrust. And the other thing is, is like, is the most simple thing of all uh, to say, but the hardest thing to do is just do what you say. You know what I mean? And if you consistently do what you say, people will trust you. But I, I think that first you got to show up and be consistent and be who you are, love who you are, do that. Once you do that, once you get that part, then start doing what you say all the time. And it's hard for people not to trust you then. They know what to expect. And you're telling them what they should expect and you're delivering on it. Like that, that's to me, the seeds of trust. So that idea of authenticity and consistency and authenticity is, is actually really difficult to digest uh, for a lot, of, a lot of sales leaders, right? Because they do feel like they need to be a chameleon, right? Over here, I need to be this way. Over here, I need to be that way. Am I hearing you say that there's there's just be yourself regardless of the context. I mean, tell, tell me more about that. Yeah. It's kind of the, the lucky, the lucky thing is like some people in the world are going to hate you. They're going to hate you when you be yourself. And then some other people are going to hate you when you're not yourself. And then some other people are going to hate you when you're trying to be somebody that you think that they'll like. So if you're always going to have somebody that hate you, isn't it better to just always be yourself and the people that 
don't like you don't like you and the people that like you like you and you're not having to change hats and change personality types and change how you show up like you know how i show up for this podcast is exactly how i talk to somebody in a one-on-one it's exactly how i talk to my kids when we're eating dinner like there's no difference so i don't have to spend mental energy trying to figure out what i need to be in the moment i just am me and then i just am i hopefully i'm self-aware enough and care enough about the person i'm with to say all right am i landing right with this person or not and if i'm not like how do i make sure that i at least connect to get done what we need to get done together Okay. So I, I love this talk track. I want to continue down, but I want to throw a little, little curve into it. We've talked about sales reps, sales leaders, but let's say I'm new to an organization, right? So let's say I'm that new recent hire sales rep, just going through onboarding. How, how does sales enablement need to change, right? How does it need to change when it comes to onboarding new reps, as opposed to older reps or somebody who's been with the organization for a long time? Well, I think that, uh, so the, um, there's a term that if you put like, so for example, I call it outreachies, you know, it could be sales intelligencies, it could be sales forces. That's the native language, the native tongue of the company that you're in. And the way people work is there's a word and then that word, the meaning of it is subscribe is, uh, is attached to all the cultural things that we do. Like when I say chair, Ryan, we both culturally have a picture of what a chair looks like. You know, mine might be an up back wooden one. Yours might be like the one behind me that's padded and, and a recliner, but we have the general cultural perception agreed upon image of a chair. And when we use the word chair, we express that. But when I say a word that is very specific to our company, but important to it, and I haven't given the person at a time to be culturally aware of what that language means, then a lot of stuff just passes over their head and they don't get it. They don't understand it. And so you lose a lot of the meaning. So I think where they, we need to change with people that are new to the company is we need to make sure that we aren't using outreach ease or whatever company ease, but that we're introducing that language over time. And, but we're taking the time and effort to make sure that the words that we use they can understand and that we're all grounded in that same vocabulary over time versus just talking about like my acronyms and all the words that we use and oh, best case for me means something, but they come from a world where best case means something totally different. And we never take the time to sync the two. And we don't know that we're talking past each other every time we get together and talk about the forecast. And so that's the biggest change for me is I don't think that we're always aware of our kind of cultural vocabulary and a lot of signals get lost early on because of that, that gap. Yeah. And somebody trying new, trying to come in, doesn't know that doesn't speak the language or speaks a different language. Here's the same word, but, um, and or decodes it differently, just like you mentioned chair and that leads to problems. So what are some other best practices then if I'm a sales leader, or if I'm looking at my new reps, you know, what are some other best practices that we can, you know, talk about specifically for new reps? Uh, you mean from a training standpoint? Yeah, for, from a new sit for for new rep enablement. So, if I'm a new rep, from the new reps perspective or the trainer's perspective? Yeah, let, let's start with the. I want to start with the leader's perspective and then get to the rep perspective. I think that uh, the biggest change that you need to have with a new rep is 
the assumptions that you make of their skill set coming to the party, right? And so I might assume that they can do certain base level skills or their skills are at a certain level. And if they're not, then I'm going to misalign there. I think you need to start at the baseline, risk boring people a little bit in the beginning, make sure that you properly assess where people are at, and then meet them with one-on-one -on -one coaching where they're at to take them to the level that they need to be. And, you know, we do classroom setting onboarding, and I think that that's appropriate a lot of time, but I think that maybe sometimes we leave people in there too long or get them off a little bit too early. And either way, we set the manager that they're handing, that they're being handed off to, we're setting them off on a bad, in a, on a bad footing. This can be difficult for them to be successful at. I think we just, we need to watch people. We need to get that part right, which is a, a delicate balance that when we hand people off to their managers, like they're ready to understand where they're at and then take them to the level where they need to be. Wait, uh, why is it, you mentioned that we'd, we'd send them off on a bad footing if there's maybe too much classroom time. What do you mean? How is that, how could that be bad? Well, listen, if they start tuning things out because they've been in there too long, if they don't feel like it's personalized enough and they feel like the company's just sending me through an assembly line of learnings versus what do I need and how is my manager going to support me? I think that you get the, you can get the initial perception of the company off to, they don't care about me. They just want to make sure that they shove everything down my throat that I need to know so they can say they taught me. Mm. At the same time, if you do it too early, they're like, well, they didn't teach me enough and now I'm not here all by myself. And so yeah. I, I think that that's a, a very difficult balance to understand for a company and for individuals. So love that. I, I think on top of that, my experience has been when, when we've been onboarding people, new reps, um, and you're dealing with a complex sale, right? A complex uh, either long sales cycle or the, the product that you're selling is, is, is complex or, or whatever, where there's a, you know, a large, you know, some, some sales have a, a lot of um, people like a, a quorum of people that have to approve uh, the purchase, you know, so you have multiple stakeholders, there's some complexity to it. And if we try and teach everything all at once, rather than in the moment or just in time, I've been taught everything two months ago. I didn't see it again for, you know, two or three months later, I've forgotten it. It's useless at that point. So, you know, tell me about real-time sales enablement. That's something that I've learned about over at Outreach that I, that I started to read about on your website. I need to know more about that because that really, really piqued my interest. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's different kinds of training and enablement. I think it is important to give everyone the complete overview and not to say stuff for exactly when they need it, but what you want to have is recall. And people need to recall what they've learned or recall what they've seen when they need it. And that's what real-time enablement is about. It's saying, I'm in a call. I know I've gone through our product catalog and been talked about all the technical specifications for a specific product. But when the customer asks me in the call about the product on page 17, that's on the second half of the page, I can't, there's no, I can't, unless I'm some kind of study bug, like figure out exactly what to say. So real-time enablement will give the rep, understand the context of the situation, give the rep that the content that they need in order to deliver the answer versus, which isn't really wrong right now, but to say, listen, I'm not quite sure I understand that. Let me get back to you. But now we've just extended the sales cycle until the next meeting 
or hope that they read the email that we send up as follow-up, which we know doesn't happen very often. And so it's just, a, it drags things out versus having the information you need when you need it can speed everything up. So love that. That actually aligns really well with some research that we've done internally at Primary Intelligence around um, impact. So when uh, the product, right, feature functionality lines up from a competitor to our product or, you know, your product to the competitor, when, when uh, people that are um, exploring purchasing your stuff, if everything else is equal, the ability of the salesperson to give them a complete and real-time answer when it's asked without having to say, I'll get back to you is a differentiator. That's a significant differentiator for the salesperson and sometimes can be enough to sway them in your direction, even when price is at a higher, at a higher level, because you remove a layer of friction, you create a layer of credibility and coming back to that word trust, um, that maybe the other sales team couldn't do because they couldn't recall or they didn't know the answer, demonstrating potentially, potentially a lack of expertise in, the, in their product. Mm-hmm. which, you know, so I love that. That's, that's powerful. So, um, you know, rounding third here, if, if in wrapping up our phone call, and by the way, you've, you've been awesome, Mark. This, I, I want to hang out, man. You're, you're fun. Um, <laughs> t- tell me more about um, implementation. So um, what, in t- what does it take? What does it entail to implement real-time sales enablement, um, you know, w- within your sales and experience? Uh, listen, um, I think every sales org has done in the last handful of months, one or multiple enablement sessions that included language or technical specifications or product details that they put on a slide and they showed them the reps and they said, Hey, in your LMS, here it is. If you go through the training, you can see it. And then I don't know what the expectation is after that. But, you know, if I show my, if I show my, my 17-year-old son, who's awesome, a list and it says, here's the five things I need you to do this Saturday and how to do them while I'm out of town. And I just kind of flash it up and make him look at it for five minutes. And then I take it away and say, oh, yeah, don't like it'll be up in my bedroom if you need it. Like it just doesn't like it doesn't work like that. You know, he doesn't think, oh, it's that dad's bedroom. Let me go up and look at it real quick. He's like, I don't have it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to only do what I remember. And because we're also throwing so many other things at reps, like it just, like we just screw up a lot of times because we don't look at commonsensical how people work and what we're actually asking people to do, right? So if I have that slide and all that content, it makes it pretty easy to use with our real real-time enablement tool to be able to say, all right, well, let me take these four bullet points. I know in a conversation when something comes up about Kaya, call recordings, real-time sales enablement, talking points, those key phrases that are inside a context of a conversation. If I load those talk, those key phrases up in real-time sales enablement tool like ours, which is called Kaya. Then when those phrases are said by someone in the meeting, the technology is smart enough to pop up those four or five bullet points in what we call a content card that makes it easily accessible with a link if they need to go get more information right then and there in the call. And so if you're already creating the slides and doing the training, 
It's just half a step further to put those slides into content cards and note several types of words or contexts in which those types of, uh, uh, of information would be needed to be available. And you just create them real quick and, and then they're available for your reps to use. So it's, I, I don't think that the, the lift is very hard at all. Uh, the bigger lift is just keeping things updated. Like when things change, you have to go back and remember to change it, but that's what doesn't involve that. You know what I mean? No, that's, that's just a, a matter of being in business, constant, yes. constant curation of your, of your stuff, uh, yeah. using a very technical term. Um, we've <laughs> coined that here at primary intelligence stuff. So, uh, anyway, well, listen, Mark, thank you so much for the time today. You, you've been just a, a wonderful guest and, and a lot of fun to talk with. Thank you for talk about authenticity, man. Thanks for showing up and, and, and just having a real conversation with me about this. This has been, this has been great. Thanks for having me. And listeners, don't forget to check out primary-intel.com slash podcast, where you'll be able to find free resources to help you improve your sales experience from both outreach and primary intelligence. Make sure to subscribe and tune in next week as we continue to explore topics on how to improve sales experience, increase win rates, and elevate your sales enablement. In the meantime, check us out at primary-intel.com to find out more on how you can tap into your buyer feedback to win more deals. And we'll see you next time.